Well, despite all the gadgets and gizmos in our lives these days, I, like many of you, still love a good book, especially one that immerses the reader in a compelling story where you can learn something interesting while developing concern for the characters. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Fighter Pilot Podcast. My name is Vincent Aiello, and I recently read just such a book. It's called The Flying Tigers, The Untold Story of the American Pilots Who Waged a Secret War Against Japan, and it's written by Mr. Sam Kleiner, who is dialing in today from New York City. Hello, Sam. Thanks for joining us. Hi, Ben. How are you? Thanks so much for having me on. Uh, you're welcome. So I confess, you know, throughout my military career, I'd heard the term flying tigers dozens of times, but I really never knew that much about them before reading your book. For starters, who are the flying tigers as history has come to know this unit? Thanks so much. Um, the, the story of the flying tigers, I think, as you, you said, is, is sort of well known, particularly in military circles. A lot of folks might have seen the famous John Wayne movie, The Flying Tigers, that came out in 1942. Some folks might be familiar with some of the famous pilots from the unit, including the commander, Claire Chenault, or um, Happy Boyington, who would later go on to win the Medal of Honor. And the, there's the famous NBC TV show, um, Baba Black Sheep, about, about his unit. But the real story was always sort of shrouded in some mystery and mythology. And the unit, in reality, was known as the American Volunteer Group. And it was a secret unit authorized at the highest levels of the Roosevelt administration in 1941 before Pearl Harbor and was sent over to help the Chinese in their war against the Japanese who had invaded China in 1937. And so the unit is, is really part of this fascinating story of covert action on the brink of America's entry into World War II. In 2015, when I got started on this project, I was a graduate student at Yale, and I sort of knew a bit about the Flying Tigers. My grandfather had been a navigator in a B-25 in World War II and grew up hearing stories from him about what he had done. And I wanted to know more about the Flying Tigers, and I realized there wasn't really a definitive account of what they had done. So I got in touch with some family members. I met the last survivor from the unit going to one of their reunions and spent years tracking down the diaries and letters and combat reports and photographs, many of which had been sort of shoved into attics and basements after the war. And through that, was able to piece together the authentic story of, of who the Flying Tigers were, what they had done. And really, it was the honor of my lifetime to be able to tell their story using as much as possible their own words. So you could really get a sense of what these young pilots and, and mechanics and others in the unit were doing at the very brink of World War II, they became the first American combat unit to really fight back against the Japanese after Pearl Harbor. Their first battle was December 20th, 1941, and that quickly became a rallying cry back home. Oh, I'm sure of it. And I really do enjoy the book as far as the setup to all those operations. Like you said, I mean, the United States was in a somewhat isolationist period at the time. So even to get all of them and the equipment over there was a feat in itself that you described so well. How effective was the group in their operations against Japan? In some ways, it's sort of hard to um, put an exact statistic on it. You know, they, they had a, a really great record in their very short lifespan. They were only there from their first combat was December 20th, 1941. And then on July 4th, 1942, they were folded into the Army Air Corps in, in, in China, what became the, the China-Burma-India Theater. And during that period, they had a remarkable record of success in air combat against Japanese planes. Um, the Japanese had been bombing cities like Kunming, China for years without any real 
significant opposition, and the Flying Tigers were able to come in their first battle and repulse a Japanese bomber raid that was coming in over Kunming, and that, that was a real accomplishment in and of itself. And they played an important role in halting a Japanese land invasion of China that was coming in through Burma, up, up the Burma Road. And they, there's a battle in there that's, that's sort of famous in the, in the China-Burma-India theater where, where the Flying Tigers attacked the Japanese advance and cut them off at the Salween Gorge. Um, and so I write about that record in the book. I think the, the broader point is, you know, you have, to, you have to sort of go back to that period. You know, we all know how World War II ends. And one thing that I think is important in writing history is, you know, we all know it, in hindsight sort of what happened. But sitting there at the time, no one knew what was going to happen. And right after the um, attack on Pearl Harbor, there was, you know, a real fear that America was going to lose this war. And so having these pilots who were essentially on the wrong side of the Pacific, you know, fighting back against the Japanese and winning these early battles, even though Americans couldn't, you know, pinpoint these cities on a map, was a huge morale booster. And that's why, you know, Hollywood obviously recognized a good story when they saw it and rushed out the John Wayne movies, you know, and that rallying effect in that very tumultuous period certainly was was very important. I think I think mattered far more than any specific battle that the Flying Tigers fought. Oh, I totally agree. And it's funny you say that because I've thought just recently how we always look back at events, at least I do, and think, okay, well, obviously the, we know the ending now, but they didn't know it then. And so you're right. The challenges must have seemed insurmountable. You, you mentioned their leader, Claire Chenault. He seemed to be pretty charismatic and could get things done and certainly shaped the unit. Uh, what more can you tell about him? Yeah, Claire Chenault is really the backbone of this story and of the unit. He's, he's really a remarkable figure. He's from the backwoods of Louisiana and became a pilot when that was really something that was sort of reserved for graduates of Ivy League universities and quickly became sort of a force in the in the Army Air Corps. He was led a group called the Flying Trapeze that were sort of early stunt pilots, would go around to different air shows and show off different techniques. But he really became quite disliked by his superiors in the Army Air Corps because he was he was really focused on, you know, what the fighter could do in aviation combat. And at the time, the prevailing view, not only in the US, but in different air forces around the world was that the bomber was the superior plane and that the bomber would always get through and that the work of fighter pilots was seen as sort of, you know, aesthetically interesting. You, you know, you could take it to an air show, but was not particularly important. And so Chanel sort of was forced out of the Army Air Corps in the late 30s, sort of saw his, his career coming to an end. And at an, at an air show in Miami, he was introduced to a Chinese Air Force officer who said, why don't you come to China and help advise us on building out an Air Force? And he took up that offer and went over to China in 1937, left behind his wife and seven children. And um, just as he was getting there, pretty much, China was thrust into a war with Japan. There was a Japanese invasion. And Chenault would spend the next four years before America entered into World War II, trying to help the Chinese to combat the Japanese invasion, and then coming back to D.C. in 1941 and essentially working with the U.S. government to organize this American volunteer group that would become famous as the Flying Tigers. He had very distinct views on aviation combat. He, he really believed and trying to use asymmetric tactics of, you know, diving against the Japanese planes using the P-40, which was a pretty heavy plane 
in a way that was not sort of doing the dogfights that became famous in, in World War One. So he's a he's a fascinating character. And I was very fortunate in doing this research to get to have access from his family to a lot of his papers, including his diary and letters and his collection of combat reports from the unit, which had really been sort of tucked away after the war. And so so you really get a sense of him as a person. And I I just found him endlessly fascinating. Well, and the way you describe him is so enlightening because I just chuckled many times. I think fighter pilots throughout the ages are all cut from the same cloth. We we don't suffer fools. We want to get stuff done. And uh, he certainly seemed like that type of person. The mission was very important and he personalized everything. And I thought that was very interesting. But you outlined several characters in the story and all of them are very interesting. Tell us about your favorite. Yeah, you know, th- thanks so much. And I, I just on Chenault, I think I think you're absolutely right that you know, and I think particularly back then, you really had to be sort of a daredevil to become a pilot in the first place because planes were not safe. You know, it was very common to have uh, <laughs> fatal accidents, and so the idea of becoming a pilot, particularly in those days, and obviously even today, is, is something that you have to have a bit of a a lust for danger. And so I think a lot of these guys who I write about, you know. The pilots who join the unit, guys like Bill Reed and Tex Hill, they um, already had that sense of adventure and sense of danger um, sort of built into who they were. And so a lot of the guys who joined this unit sort of took up, you know, a recruiter would go around to different military bases and ask people if they wanted to go to China and you'd have a chance to see combat and you'd get paid more. And that was a pretty appealing offer. I, I mentioned that I got to speak to a gentleman who was the last surviving member of the Flying Tigers. His name was Frank Lazonski, and I'll, I'll just talk briefly about him um, because it was such a moving part of my experience in writing the book to become a friend of his. He was a child of the Great Depression who grew up in Detroit. He remembered going down to the train tracks to pick up pieces of coal to, to take home to heat their house. And he um, had joined the Army Air Corps and became a mechanic and was recruited to join the unit. And, you know, he had never really left the state of Michigan significantly. And so the idea of going to China was something that was really a, just a, an adventure for him and, and, you know, a chance to see more of the world, a chance to make something of himself. And so, you know, I, I, I just think it's so moving to think about, you know, someone like that taking up this, this invitation. And it was a really important part of my writing experience to get to spend time with him. He had retired down in Georgia, and we were able to go out to a museum that had one of these P-40s. And getting to go with him to see this plane and just see how emotional it made him and the memories it brought back for him really showed to me you know, how, how so many of these guys who would go on to do all different sorts of things in their careers you know, this was really a defining moment in, in their lives. And it was really moving for me to be able to present him with the book and let him know this story was going to live on for generations to come. And he he sadly passed away earlier this year. So we now no longer have this living connection to the Flying Tigers. And, And this month marks the 75th anniversary of the end of World War II. And we're really losing that that human connection to the greatest generation. So I think it's more important than ever for us to be writing new stories that that are telling these, you know, sort of untold stories from World War II and bringing out, you know, narratives that have sort of been either lost to time or sort of clouded in mythology and and really telling, you know, the facts of what happened and putting that in, in the history books. Oh, I totally agree. And on that note, what would you say is the legacy of the Flying Tigers? Is there some resonance today in what they did then? 
there there are definitely legacies on a on a couple different levels. I think you know there's a huge interest in the story of the flying tigers in China. There's huge museums being constructed at some of these places, um, and, and I do think you know, with, despite all the tensions we have with China today, there is a kernel of you know a story here. You know, just at, the, at a human to human level of American pilots and and Chinese individuals working together. There's lots of stories in the book about the pilots being shot down and then um, you know being rescued by by Chinese villagers working hand in hand with with uh, Chinese military forces. And you know I, I think you know obviously today is very different in a lot of ways, but you know we sh- it's important to keep that shared history in mind. I think secondly, and I, I've been thinking a lot about this in the past few months with with what's going on in, in our country, you know, this is really a story about guys who come and, and women who come from all different walks of life, all different backgrounds in the U.S. You have guys who went to Ivy League universities and guys who had scarcely left the counties they grew up in who came together for a common mission. And they wake up on December 8, 1941. They're on the wrong side of the Pacific. The Japanese attacks on places like Wake Island have essentially cut them off from getting any reinforcements. And they go in and they work together to take on the Japanese in, in those early battles of World War II when the war seemed very unwinnable. And to me, I think that you know says a lot about the American spirit in terms of being resilient, in terms of our ability to, to come together and to complete a common mission. And I, I think that that spirit, w- which is found throughout stories from the British generation, is something that I think we really need in our country and why I think that this book has resonance today. Oh, I completely agree with that sentiment. So when you think about the Flying Tigers, at least my limited understanding of them, I had what preconceived notions or misunderstandings. What are some of the biggest myths you uncovered as you were writing this book? Yeah, it's it's a great question. You know, I think that so much of the story of the Flying Tigers is sort of crowded in this mythology, you know, which is, you know, the John Wayne movie is a great movie, but it's it's just not factually accurate. And, you know, Hollywood has its role in, you know, particularly during the war and sort of getting this out. But, you know, I think a lot of folks, you know, think that the Flying Tigers were actively engaged in combat before Pearl Harbor, which is not true. Their first combat was December 20th, 1941. And a lot of them, you know, some people think of the Flying Tigers sort of as, as mercenary type characters. But in, in reality, these were individuals who, you know, as, as I sort of outlined in the book, were much more motivated by a sense of adventure, a sense of, you know, wanting to see more of the world than any of the money they were being paid for, for participating in this. And, it, you know, it was, it's a very moving story of how, you know, the, the unit was not officially recognized as part of the U.S. military until 1991, 50 years after this combat, when the, when the Pentagon recognized them as an, as an essentially as an official unit. And so I think, you know, it was important to me to sort of set the historical record straight. And I think on the individual level, I, I saw, you know, from reading these guys' letters and diaries, and it was a great letter writing and diary keeping generation, you saw, you know, that even though they were portrayed in the movies and portrayed in the press back home, really as sort of heroic characters, you know, these, these were young guys and they were, they were, you know, they missed their mom's cooking on Christmas and they missed being home in places like Iowa. And they um, struggled with, with the fear of, of what was to come. And I, it was important for me to put that in the book, you know, not, not to try and take away in any way from the, the incredible deeds they did, but to really humanize them and show these were 
you know, we talked about the greatest generation, but the greatest generation was made up of individual human beings, each of whom was going through their own unique experience and, and to as much as possible try and humanize these guys and show them, you know, not only when they're in the cockpit, um, which I do, you know, I, I write about the, the, the aviation combat using these co- incredible combat reports, but also talking about, you know, what was it, you know, what were they eating? You know, where were they sleeping? What were they, what were they thinking? And that, that to me was incredibly important to do to try and humanize the story as much as possible. Yeah. And I enjoyed that about the book because you do get invested in each of the characters that you describe and then you follow through with them. Like you mentioned, Pappy Boynton went on to some degree of fame. A lot of the others just went in different directions. And it was interesting to read all about that. And so I really did enjoy it. It's just over 300 pages. Again, it's called The Flying Tigers, The Untold Story of the American Pilots Who Waged a Secret War Against Japan. It's written by Sam Kleiner, who's joining us today. Sam, any other military aviation books either in your uh, repertoire already or that you're working on? Um, it's a great question. You know, I think there's so many untold stories from World War II and, and you know, throughout American history. And so I'm sort of in a phase of just poking around and, and looking at different stories that, that pique my interest. But I, I really feel like I got um, really lucky with this story just because it's such an incredible story that I think a lot of Americans have some familiarity with. But it, it was a real honor to get to tell this sort of unique story in American history. And, and the book's gotten great reviews, but the most moving review that I've gotten was from family members who I've, I've spoken to at subsequent Flying Tigers reunions who said that it finally helped them to, to understand what, the, what their family had been going through. Yes, I agree. Where can listeners find the book and where can folks follow you if they are so inclined? Thanks so much. Um, we have a Facebook group called The Flying Tigers, The Untold Story, and the book is available wherever books are sold, including on Amazon. And Costco actually has been uh, carrying the book for the uh, 75th anniversary of the end of the war. Outstanding. All right, Sam. Well, thanks for taking the time to join us today and explain your book. We really appreciate you stopping by. Thank you.